Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crimecast, a briefing featuring the latest news updates and perspectives across the financial crime landscape. Today we're going to be speaking to Doug McCalmont, Senior AML Solutions Consultant at BAE Systems Applied Intelligence. After about uh, close to 20 years of full-time employment within the traditional financial services community, Doug made the leap to uh, the blockchain world. He established a blockchain technology consulting firm after working on some previous crypto and blockchain projects, both within the U.S. and Latin America. And he believes that this technology will have a profound impact on the way anti-money laundering operations are carried out. And on that note, we are specifically going to be looking at customer risk assessments and the topic of digital identity via blockchain, how digital identity via blockchain may help in what has traditionally been a very difficult aspect of the anti-money laundering program. So, Doug, thank you for joining us. Uh, Pleasure to have you here. Hey, thank you so much, Brian, for that introduction. That was awesome. Yeah, so just to give people a little bit of a background as to where I'm coming from. So, as Brian mentioned, I had spent a significant amount of time in the legacy financial services industry um, through two major asset management firms here in the Boston area. And in both positions at each firm, I was responsible uh, in some way for the uh, anti-money laundering risk assessment. Um, and those, as I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir with the uh, listeners, uh, can be a very complicated uh, task, to say the least. Um, but I would argue that with the advent of blockchain technology, um, risk assessments are going to radically change moving forward. And uh, just to point to a little bit of my past, um, I was responsible for uh, our Latin American uh, investor base investing into a mutual fund product based out of Luxembourg. And as I'm sure many of you know, the Luxembourg anti-money laundering requirements are extraordinarily um uh, demanding, uh, even more so than the AML requirements here in the United States. And with a Latin American investor base, um, the Latin American countries in general have a lower uh, threshold for complexity when it comes to investing, and they may not vet investors to the degree that Luxembourg does. So with this particular asset management firm, it ended up being a uh, excruciating process in trying to match up our Latin American investor base with the requirements in Luxembourg. Um, The amount of uh, physical uh, certifications on uh, state IDs, driver's license, marriage certificates, uh, utility bills, etc., uh, was extraordinarily demanding. And not only that, but because most global north financial institutions would consider the Latin American investor base to be high risk, those credentials would need to be recertified on an annual basis. And if you're living in a rural part of Ecuador, for example, it's extraordinarily complex to get to a major metropolitan area to recertify to obtain those credentials, let alone recertify on an annual basis. So we had a significant amount of our LATAM investor base uh, in conflict with our asset management firm as a intermediary to the Luxembourg fund product. So um, I would argue with digital 
identity loaded onto the blockchain, that is going to uh, severely um, or positively change uh, the way we uh, conduct risk assessments moving forward. Um, as everybody knows, if a country is considered high risk, by default, all of the population within that country are considered high risk. What digital ID loaded onto the blockchain will allow us to do is take the country risk assessment out of the equation and focus on the risks of that individual investor. So basically, the risk assessment will turn from a macro country focused to a micro individual focused and open up those investors that are on the blockchain to investment opportunities through Global North Financial Institutions. Brian, I apologize. I know I went on for a long time there. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, that, I mean, you, you opened up a lot of avenues to kind of to pursue there, uh, and it, you know, it, and it, it totally makes sense within places like Latin America that you'd have populations uh, that would struggle with this. But even within, you know, the United States, there absolutely. have been, uh, you know, older communities. It's a rapidly aging population. Yes. Um, you know, rural communities here where you run into maybe not quite the same level of difficulty in gathering this documentation, but. Um, in some cases, you know, it's 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 uh, similar, if not equivalent, problems. Oh, without a doubt. And there's a huge number of individuals here in the United States, for whatever reason, cannot participate in legacy traditional financial services, mm-hmm. and to their detriment, because they're not able to um, exploit the rise in the stock market, the rise in uh, the economy as a whole in the same way that those of us in privileged areas are able to. Right. So so you've obviously talked about or started talking about at least blockchain-based digital identity, but to back up for just a moment, can you explain what that, that actually is um, and how it differs from the current protocols we use around identity? Yeah, sure, sure. So it differs in several ways. Um I would say that in the first part, it would differ in the sense that it's a portable identity and that it's owned by the individual whose identity that individual is linked to. So as we progress in the world of blockchain technology and innovation, uh, you'll be able to own your own identity. It will eliminate the need for third parties to capture the identities like an Experian, um, et cetera, a, a quote-unquote honeypot of information that would be attracted, attractive to hackers to be able to steal on an industrial scale identities of tens of thousands of individuals. Because the individual will actually own this record on the blockchain, that will eliminate the honeypot. Um, in, in the sense, in the same way, cryptographic currencies eliminate the idea of a double spend, which I won't get into the details of this, but the uh, revolutionary technology associated with cryptographic currencies, the reason it works is because you can't spend the same Bitcoin multiple times. The transaction, once it takes place, renders that Bitcoin out of service or associated with the individual who spent it initially. Sorry, need some water. Um, so um, 
So that's the same idea. The elimination of the double spend is the same idea that's at work within identity. And that's what we'll see to it that it moves forward. And because of that, because of that, you're dealing with immutable records, records that cannot be changed, records that cannot be altered. So if my employment is with McDonald's and Citigroup, you can't change that to uh, employment with um, uh, Barnes and Noble and uh, the United Nations um, because of the immutability factor. Um, records cannot be manipulated. And then finally, um, there are a number of initiatives right now that are overlapping biometrics with the identity. And I know we're seeing that to a specific degree now, but I would argue that's going to really take fire once digital identity is on the blockchain. And the, the idea of uh, a retinal scan or DNA or even uh, fingerprints will associate that record with the individual. So I think that's how it would change. And so if I'm a person, I essentially control this data in some way, right? I'm not relying yes. on a credit reporting bureau uh, or, you know, even a government agency for verification or for access. I access this directly through some kind of keys, whether that's, as you mentioned, biometrics or otherwise, that I yes. access. Okay. Absolutely. And and private keys, to your point. Yes, cryptography will play a role as well. And you mentioned this previously, but just to dig into it a little bit more, the issue of macro versus micro. So currently we have a, we've had for years a problem with de-risking where we're seeing financial sector cut off, uh, you know, whole swaths of services or entire countries because they just say it's just the, the whole, the entire sector the entire line of business or the entire country is deemed high risk. Um, and now if we, if we have more granular identity, some of that risk is, is taken away um, from a financial, from a, from a financial institution perspective, I can see one of the pushbacks on this um, being, you know, how do I know that this information is trustworthy mm -hmm. and, you know, what standards essentially am I using to judge whether this, this is okay um, right. to use, you know, digital identity and, and, and verify it and so on and so forth. So can you talk a little bit about those two questions, you know, from, or those two pushbacks that you might get from, from financial services? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So um, I would argue that right now we're in a gap period. And the gap period is the fact that there are a significant number of people here in the world that have been born and are living their lives and they're going to need to be hooked up to the blockchain. So in a sense, there'll be, need to be a massive remediation effort to load those identities onto the blockchain. Just a quick view into the future. There's an organization called Evernim and they're actually working with uh, uh, entities within the state of Illinois to load blockchain identity up at the point of birth. Now, if that becomes institutionalized, we'll be able to do that moving forward. We won't have these gaps where we need to remediate the individuals who are not uploaded into the blockchain. And that, that they, those individuals who are born within Illinois and who choose to be uploaded into the blockchain, 
those identities will be uh, authentic. And what what I think the game changer is today, as far as those of us who have already been born and have lived a significant portion of our lives, will be the look back and the ability to vet the information that is associated with us for uploading into the blockchain. Um, and that is actually, there are a number of initiatives that are both public and private. And most of them are being run through the United Nations. And they are coming up with protocols that will facilitate this remediation. So and, there, there is a, 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 there is an international effort around this, then it sounds like already in the works. Oh yeah, absolutely. Evernim, the organization that I referred to before, is um, working with a number of organizations, and the United Nations has an organization called ID2020, hmm. which their goal is to have everyone uh, reg with a registered identification by the year 2030, and that's over a billion two people that currently don't have any record. So these these are major institutions. IBM has uh, is working with the Linux Foundation um, on something called Hyperledger, and these are massive organizations that Microsoft that have legitimacy in the corporate and private and public realm, and they will see to it that this moves forward um, with legitimacy. And there are some, if I'm not mistaken, countries who have adopted a version of digital identity or maybe even, you know, a full-on digital identity at this point. Yeah. Is that, yes, is that Yeah, actually, you're talking to one. I was the proud recipient of Estonian digital residency, um, and Estonia is really leading the way. Oh, wow, interesting. That yeah. Estonia is, uh, is the pioneer, and it's yeah. not necessarily what you'd expect. Right, and and that goes to and individuals who are not necessarily Estonian by blood, but they open it up to the world. And if you're accepted, you're able to um, get a um, uh, approval to receive Estonian digital ID. And what it is, it's biometric based, and it's on a, a permission blockchain run by the country of Estonia. And um, so if I have any business with the country of Estonia, I want to set up a company uh, or I want to buy property. Um, I don't need an intermediary. I don't need a notary. I don't need some third party. I'm able to do it on my own because when I plug my card into my laptop, they know through biometric and private key information that I'm who I say I am. And that's definitely the future. That is really that is really interesting and just such a leap. I mean, such a such a big leap from where we are currently, where it's just oh, this, absolutely this hodgepodge of paper documentation oh. and digital. And I mean, it's just a total mess in a lot of ways. Um, oh, and to imagine the... to imagine such a clean system is really interesting. Yeah. yeah, and the number of passwords you have to have memorized yes. or recorded somewhere <laughs> it's ridiculous. And the the interesting thing about this ID that I have, there's no photo. There's no photo. There, photos are antiquated because they can change. People change. They can True. be manipulated. True. So the DNA 
or, or the biometric information overrides the photograph. Ah, it's fascinating. Ah, yeah, very, very interesting and, and very new um, in some yeah. ways, although it sounds like there's a considerable bit of resources already behind this. So uh, in regards to uh, what, so we, as you mentioned, we are in a gap period or a ramp up. There's some uh, some work to do to get records actually on the blockchain and develop out these digital identities. If I'm looking at this from the AML officer, the fraud investigator, that type of thing, um, and I'm saying, uh, what do I, what should I be thinking about now? Um, how is this going to you know how is this going to impact my compliance program in the next five ten whatever the question or whatever number of years this this might hit? Um, what are some things that people you know in that in those types of roles should can be doing or should be doing? And maybe it's just you know learning more about this and, and trying to get information. But any suggestions on kind of um, you know thinking ahead to the future for the financial crime compliance professionals? Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely run a search of Evernym, E-V-E-R-N-Y-M, and track that organization. I would also track ID2020. Um, and then another uh, uh, kind of relationship that's close to my heart is Lux Trust and Cambridge Blockchain. So Lux Trust is the technology provider for the financial services in Luxembourg. And Cambridge Blockchain is working with them on digital identity. And I think what happens in Luxembourg does not stay in Luxembourg. Hmm. I would argue that Luxembourg is going to drive major financial institutions around the world what happens there. So I would I would keep a search open for those three and to stay ahead of it. And I would prepare by, you know, even uh, kind of, laying the foundation with the investor base, with your clients that happen to be in high-risk jurisdictions. So we had major, major uh, customer service issues because of this. Uh, I would throw out to them that when you do come across difficult customer situations, that this is going to change. There's change coming, and there are global changes that will eliminate the need for this level of constant scrutiny. Um, as a possible upside. Pulled out of yeah. yeah, that that's that is fantastic advice, uh, and yeah. I, and I want to thank you for the, the time speaking with us today. This is a this is a really interesting topic, actually, and I, I'm sure it's one that uh, we'll be we'll be talking about quite a bit more uh, on uh, these these podcasts as well as webinars and and future coverage. But um, I see the potential here, in, in a lot of ways, I'm sure. Um, many, myself, as well as many of the others listening to this are saying, Hey, I wish we had this already. <laughs> this seems wow. like, uh, yeah. it's, it's all yeah. a lot of problems. So, um, absolutely. I, I would say going from a complicated risk assessment to basically a sanctions list. Yes. Yeah. No, there's no gray area. It's black or white. Right. At the individual level. Well, it's, it sounds, it sounds too good to be true, so, but, <laughs> but I hope it's not. So. Uh, I'm an optimist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good. We need optimists in this field. So, Doug, thank you very much. Again, I've been speaking with Doug McCalmont, the Senior AML Solutions Consultant at BA Systems Applied Intelligence. Thanks again for the time and expertise, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Thank you so much, Brian.